Tell me the difference between Boeing and Airbus. An Airbus is more computerized mm. plane, and a Boeing is more manual. That would be like more manual car versus an automatic car. So in a Boeing aircraft, you're more connected to the aircraft. You mm. know everything you do in the aircraft. But then on an Airbus aircraft, it's like more computerized, somehow maybe easier to use it. Like, for example, in an Airbus, it's it's stick on the side. Uh-huh, yeah. So it's computerized stick on the side. On a Boeing, you have a wheel in the middle of your leg. So, yeah. okay, what's your name? Baba. My name is Tony. Yes, and Tony, how do we know each other? I went to your parents' house and family for the summer of 2013. Now, yep. now we're old. Yep. We were both teenagers. Right. Oh, yeah. You you were a real teenager. Oh, yeah, because you weren't a teenager? <laughs> I, I, was <laughs> I was not. And what do you do for a living? I'm an airline pilot flying for Air France. What made you want to be a pilot? Oh, good question. I feel like back in the interviews. I don't know. I think I realized like pretty late that not everyone were looking at the sky every time an aircraft was flying over. To mm. me, it was like just normal to, to be attracted by planes and travels and all that. Wow. And then I was lucky enough to travel. So I just loved it more and more. And then I tried to like meet pilots and ask them some question and the more I asked the more I was into it can you talk about what the process is like to become a pilot in France because I don't think many people in America realize right like in America you have to pay for flight school period or you can join the military in France there's like a system in France where every, like the education is free but obviously to become a pilot it costs about $150,000 so the government will not be paying that for everyone who wants to become a pilot so there's about 20 seats per year there's about 1,500 people applying every year and there is 20 seats 1,000 people apply every year? about 1,500 1,500 people apply yeah, every year? About, that would be about yeah. god damn yeah, you, you need to have like 2 years of math and physics education after graduation. So it's really hard. It's kind of hard. Yeah, it's it's kind of hard. Yeah. And you were one of the 20 people of the 1,500. I was, but I, I didn't go to the school, which is the funny thing. Oh, so, how does that work? Yeah, because so it's one way to do it. Another way to do it would be to pay for private flight school, like in America. Another way to do it would be to go through military, like like you hear. Uh -huh. But there's like a, a fourth way. Air France is actually, they have like a cadet program, called that cadet program. So they will hire you with, with zero flight hours, zero license. They would pay for your studies and then they, were, uh, they would hire you as, as a pilot. You would pay back a little bit every month on your first salaries. That that's how it works. So that's the best deal you could get when you're French, because Air France, when you're French, is like the best company you want to work for as a pilot. In 2018, I I was part of the 20 people in the public flight school in France, but I was also taken in the Air France cadet program. So I choose the Air France cadet program. Can you tell the story of of applying to the French? pilot school yeah yeah that was the first time i applied to it on that year they were taking only five so the first thing is like you go you have like a math and physics test 
a written math and physics test mm -hmm. so you take that that would that would eliminate some people every step is eliminatory second step would be uh, call that psycho technical test so you go in front of a computer for one full day and you're exhausted at the end of that and then it's the interview and English tests so you go to the interview and they were taking only five people that year and I ended up six once you're in the cadet program what do you have to do to become a pilot so there is one theoretical part and one practical so the theory takes about eight months you learn everything it's the worst eight months of the whole training like I remember on the aircraft there is like a license plate I had to learn that those letters are painted and they are 40 centimeters wide and 50 centimeters thick. Why would you need to know that? Right, right. And then you'll have to learn all the lights at the airport and then the air traffic control stuff, which you don't really need. But you'll have to learn all that and then you kind of tend to forget everything. <laughs> I love how you go, which we don't really need. After the eight months, you'll get your airline transport pilot license mm -hmm. for Siri. And then you have to go through practical flight training. How does that work? Do they put you in a in a big plane the first time you fly? No, you start with small aircraft. So you want to go. The first thing you're gonna you're gonna learn is how to pilot an aircraft in the air, which take about just a week. You know, in about a week, if you fly every day, you know how to turn left, right, go up and down. Mm. Then you have to try to land, which take about about a month. In a month, you'll be able to land by yourself. I would be oh, so yeah. nervous. You take your first solo, and then there's a some training so you you learn how to navigate then you learn how to do like long distance like three hours flight on your tiny aircraft so why is the distance important why does it matter if it's because you hours? have to learn because if you do like we call that traffic patterns when we circle around an airport and take off and land take off and land take ah, off and land. okay but then you'll have to learn to go to another airport that you don't know then you'll have to learn how to navigate uh, in Florida, it was easy because there was the coastline. Ah, right. But then, if you're like in the middle of nowhere, you have to learn to navigate just by instrument or by following roads, reading a map, not knowing where you are. What do you mean, like literally looking out of the plane oh, and yeah. seeing roads? Yeah, yeah. That's how oh, you do it. You like, don't have GPS in an airplane? There is GPS in the airplane, but you have to learn. If your GPS ran out of battery, or if there was an issue with your GPS, you have to learn like, uh, like with an actual map. You read the map. You, I, I learned how to fly with my knees because I needed my hands to look at the map. <laughs> that was really cool to do. Yeah, they that, think of everything. That was really really cool. And then, then if you lose, like if you don't have your phone to calculate stuff, you have like that rollers. Oh yeah, old an school, abacus. Ab yeah, old school thing you, you, you used to to find all that. They, they, I, every time you talk about all the flight stuff, I just am amazed at how they prepare you for literally every single oh, really? situation. <laughs> <laughs> like, and remember, like in Florida, it's cool because there is a lot of airport. We were able to do like an engine failure for real. The instructor just took the engine and cut it. Then you have to glide all the way down to an airport. You have to make the runway. Because you uh, you have a really steep angle because you don't have any engines. Ah, makes sense. And yeah, you just have to make the runway, which is with no power, so there's no go around. It's it's really it's really fun to do all those exercises. And then so then you take your PPL, private pilot license. Then your CPL, commercial pilot license. 
yeah. then you ATPL, airline transport pilot license. Whoa. So the first one you take is PPL, private pilot license. It means you're allowed to fly small aircrafts. You are a private pilot. You, yeah. You can fly small aircraft. You, can, you could work for people private? No. You can oh. bring your friends with you, but you cannot be paid for flying. Ah, uh, got it. Okay. I did my CPL in Florida too. So the different, the main difference is like, now you train to become commercial. So you train more seriously and then you do the diversions and when you arrive in cruise you do a brave thing like, like but at this point you already know how to fly you're just learning you know, a different way to yeah, fly yeah you know how to fly a small aircraft you know how to go from one airport to another you know how to land and you know how to handle basic emergencies or yeah emergency situations so then how does it change when you get uh... then you take your nighttime rating you'll be able oh. to fly during the night but all of that is flying within good weather conditions it's we call that flying visual ah okay you're not you're not able to go in any clouds you're not able to fly with your instruments and stuff like that and then you have to take your instrument rating so you learn how to fly in a cloud you learn how to get down to a runway you go as low as 200 feet without looking outside at all and at 200 feet you look outside so what they'll do because they don't want you to cheat yeah they'll put a curtain a real curtain on the windscreen are you kidding me i am not this is really scary the first time so they put a curtain on all the windows in front of you so you you're What not if you hit something well that's the whole point of of learning to fly in the sky you, oh. you're not seeing anything in, in, in the cloud you're not seeing anything So they put a curtain in, in the window and you're not able to see anything and you have to navigate without looking outside and you have to like get on the proper runway axis and get on the airport and like try to almost land and at 200 feet they will take the curtain off and then you'll be able to land visually. That's Is it would it be possible to land a plane with the curtain on the whole time? No. The commercial my my aircraft on on Air France. What knows type of plane do you fly right now? Boeing 737. Right. It knows how to do it. It's it's auto land. It knows how to land automatically. But you <laughs> but when you do that, you're still in small aircraft, like four seat small aircraft with oh, a rod oh, blade. Oh, I see. Yeah. yeah. So then you get your instrument rating and then you have to take your multi-engine at that point you're only flying piston single engine so you want to get your multi-engine which goes faster too so you learn how to do the navigation way faster you learn how to land faster you learn how to calculate does the runway have enough lengths for me to land in it uh -huh. at that point you have everything you need to apply to an airline you are a commercial pilot with instrument rating and multi-engine. Then most airlines, they will want you to be type-rated on the aircraft they are using. Yeah. It's about $30,000. $30, to learn how to fly one of those planes. To just be type-rated in one aircraft. And if you, in every type-rated is $30,000. So you want to get the good one and you want to get the, you want to be type-rated for, for an aircraft that an airline is using and is hiring, you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Most of the aircraft and the medium hole where you start are either Airbus A320 or Boeing 737. 
So Got if it. you take one of those two, you'll be able to apply in most airlines. The last step is to get your ATPL, Airline Transport Pilot License. For that, you'll need all of the previous thing I talked to, yes. plus 1,500 hours as a first officer, which I currently do not have because I have about 600 hours. Whoa, so okay. in about a year, I'll, I'll have my Airline Transport Pilot License, which is the, like the final step. And with that, yes. you can become a captain. So every six months, I have to retake a simulator and revalidate my type rating. Can you explain maybe in 30 seconds yeah. to somebody who has no idea how does a plane work? Have you ever tried to put your hands out of the window when your parents were driving? If you ah. put it at the right angle, yes, your, your, your hand will go up. Wings go through the air. It's at the right angle so that it goes up. And that's how we fly. And then we need engines to keep going forward, like the like your parents' car. Uh-huh. Have you ever heard of uh, pilots going to the wrong airports by mistake or planes? Yeah. Really? What happens? There is one in Brittany, France. Yeah. Best, we call that airport. Right next to it, there is a military base. Oh. With a runway that is on the same direction at the commercial air- airport. And they're really next to each other. Sometimes it's if it's good weather, you don't want to take the radio signal of the runway because this is like a really long route and everything. Yeah. You could do visual. And then so, your plane gets shot down. No. <laughs> military, French military school. What are some privileges that commercial pilots have that I as a normal passenger do not have? I think like the best one is staff tickets. It's not for free, but you only pay the taxes. I could take Air France aircraft to whichever destination and just pay the taxes, and if there is a seat available on that aircraft, I'll be able to just grab the seat. But now you said that you can travel not on Air France, because Air France has... Yeah, and then there's all those agreements within different airlines, and I could travel on United, and American, and Delta, Hawaiian Airlines. On the same thing, you just pay the taxes? Yeah, you just pay the taxes. You pay a little bit more than if you were paying for Air France, but yeah, you just pay the taxes. So do you wait in lines when you go to the airport? I don't do lines. (laughs) Do you um, have to go through the same TSA as we do? If I go on vacation, yes. But for work, we have at our airport in Paris, we have a special one. And then we have a special pilot license card. Yeah. which is linked to our fingerprint. Uh-huh. So we just fingerprint, we, we go to a machine and with our fingerprint and everything. And we'll, we, so we don't take our liquids out, iPads out. We can even bring uh, one liter big liquids and everything. Oh, so you can bring a water bottle? Yes, no, no the rules are lighter for us. Are airplanes safe? Yep. How safe? Safer than your elevator. What else is it safer than? There is more people who die by falling off their beds at night than on oh an aircraft. God. Oh Stuff God. like that, you know. Like, so then why do you think people are so scared of flying? Maybe because they don't really understand how it works. If I don't understand how something works, I could be afraid of it. But you're saying, I, as someone who understands how it works, it's the safest thing. Because everything is redundant. Like we have, like on my aircraft, which is a really, really old one, we have two or three different hydraulics. We could we could lose an engine. The engine could catch fire. It could break off, like literally break off. We are trained for that every year to still continue to fly. You know what? Oh, wait, can I can I throw you a situation and then you tell me what you do? All right. 
Okay, you're flying and, um... Oh, you're flying and the landing gear won't go down. What happens? Uh, so then you... There's a manual overlock. You gotta go climb down with the bags? Nope. No, there's a switch for it. You just like... On my aircraft, it's like literally you open a little trap and yeah. then you pull on a handle uh-huh. and it's connected to a cable yeah. that will drop, make the landing gear drops. So by gravity, uh-huh. by gravity, they will drop. And also that's why the nose landing gear, yeah. when it's retracted, uh-huh. it's retracted forward, forward and up. Uh-huh. It's because if you want to let, like, 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 let, like, if you want to go, if you want to make the landing gear go down, you just, you just let it drop a little bit, and then with the wind, it will lock uh, it in place. What happens if I am riding in an airplane and a window breaks? It's really unlikely, but because there's like three different layers. Like the first layer, the one you can touch, is only plastic. It's just like for it's it doesn't do anything. It's oh, 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 oh! Then okay. there's like two different layers of glass or fiber or something. But all right, because I've always wondered when you feel them, it feels like like if I hit it too hard, it would. Break. Oh yeah, it's only the plastic covers or something. I don't I, maybe not to scratch the real window or something. It's only a cover. It, it doesn't do anything. You know, like the fuselage and the windows. Yeah. It's only I don't know inches, but it's only three millimeters thick. It's oh. only those three millimeters that keeps you from a minus sixty degree Celsius outside. Jesus. And, and no oxygen. Wait, so, okay, what happens if, if so you're the, flying and you hit something and the flu, if you get a hole in the fuselage? Yeah, so if the window breaks, um, there is like a depressurization. We call that rapid depressurization. Yeah. The oxygen mask will drop down automatically. So you yeah. just pull on the mask and then you just breathe on the oxygen. Where does that, that oxygen come from? It's a chemical bottle that is on top of every rows of passengers. Oh. There's about, I think there's about 10 or 15 minutes worth of oxygen in there. Which is not a lot, but like, yeah, like pro tip: if you're if you're in that situation, yeah, if if there is, if there is an empty row in front of you, uh-huh. take the one from the empty row in front of you because that will give you an extra fifteen minutes because they are not <laughs> they are not connected. Every row are have independent bottles. Oh, so I if didn't you think take about that. If you take from the row in front of you, you will get you will get an extra fifteen. But then the pilot, the first thing we'll do is to put our oxygen mask in the cockpit. Yeah. And then we'll, uh, we'll assess, we'll try to assess the situation. Is it a real hole or is it just a slow depressurization or like maybe a system fault? Because we will not be able to see what's happening in the cabin. Right. So we'll have, a, we'll have a warning, but is it, a, is it, is it something? So we'll, we'll, we'll look at the, our, at our gauges. And if we see that there is no more air, in the cabin, we'll, we'll, we'll do what we call an emergency descent. Go down pretty rapidly to 10,000 feet uh-huh. or whichever uh, safe altitude is there because sometimes the mountains are higher than 10,000 feet. Oh, uh, right, right. But right, you right, want right, to right. go down to 10,000 feet because 10,000 feet is the altitude at which you can take your mask off and breathe normally the outside air top, the outside air. Oh, right, right, right. I've, I've been on mountains that big and it's fine. Right. If you have to do a rapid de- de- descent, descent yeah. is that am I going to feel that as a passenger? Yeah, it's, it's a real like you you go down, <laughs> like you go 
down. And <laughs> so you go down fast and you can feel. So you don't want to go, like, if there's a Is hole. Is it too fast? No, if there's a hole in the fuselage, the checklist says try not to go really fast because you don't want to stress the fuselage and stress the body if it is damaged. Ah, uh, okay. But it's, it's really like there's no numbers. You just have to assess on how you feel. Uh, would I, would it be fun or would it be scary? Uh, if, if you were at cruising altitude and your window breaks, yeah. you'd have to convert that in, in Fahrenheit, but the outside air temperature would be minus 65 degrees Celsius. That's pretty freaking... So you'll freeze. You will, will, you'll still be alive, but you'll, it's, it's going to be a really, really cold. Then it's going to be really loudy because a lot of uh, like the air going and everything. Ah, uh, yeah, I can understand And that. then there is going to be a lot of fog inside the aircraft. Oh, why fog? Because the air inside is moisturized ah, and the yeah. air outside is really dry so that will create a fog inside the aircraft Whoa. and also like remember that most of your body is made out of water but also like air there's some airs inside your body oh, like yeah? and all the air within your body will go out Whew. so you'll probably shit yourself you'll probably we shit <laughs> you'll probably <laughs> That, that that's gonna be like for sure. You'd probably do all of that. <laughs> no way. Oh, yeah. So I might not call that fun, but that's gonna be a cool experience. Talk about turbulence and why nobody should ever be scared of turbulence. Uh, it's pretty safe. It cannot it cannot break the aircraft. Turbulence could never break an air, airplane. Right. It's bad for passenger comfort if you take the a, a jelly, put a, a, a like a a bean inside of it okay and you shake the jelly yeah the bean will move but it will not drop down ah right the bean moves with the jelly yeah with the jelly but it will not be dropping down and that's what turbulence that's is. the same thing the, the aircraft will move within the air but it's going through the air and the wings are still lifting the aircraft so you will not go down dramatically so you're saying, it's, so it's basically relative to the air around you, you're still doing a constant thing. Yes. It's just the air itself is doing something different. Yes. Yeah. The but air. the aerodynamics over the wings never change, and that's why turbulence will never be an issue. Right. Are you scared that robots are going to take your job? <laughs> that's a good one. Bad, bad. No, I don't <laughs> oh, know. Oh, really? They're, they're studying the signal pilot thing at Airbus but not for the entire flight it's if, if when you go on a long haul flight uh-huh. if it's at Air France it's, if it's more than I think it's nine and a half hours yeah. you have to have three pilots so the pilots will take shifts for rest so they'll go to sleep for three hours and then they will always have two pilots and in the flight deck, but yeah. one will be sleeping and they will rotate within themselves. Oh, okay. So they are studying something to do those big flights with only two pilots and one will go to bed and the other one will fly. Ah, fly alone. Which is fine for 98% of the time because you don't need two people to talk to the radio and... and and program the autopilot once it's programmed. Uh-huh. But if anything happened, that's when you need two pilots. I, I like usually we say we are not paid for what we do, but we are paid for what we know how to do. That's a good quote right there. Right. 
So essentially robots may take over, but we're still a very long way from having them take over. Um, if, we, if we still have three uh, pilots and we're just going down to two. If you think about the technology, it's already there. Like pilots know how to fly an aircraft. It's already there. The technology is already there. I yeah, because you said your plane could land itself. Right, but if there is could no... Could it take off by itself? Uh, not my aircraft, but some aircraft could. Like on oh. the new Airbus, I think they can. But the thing is, they like my aircraft knows how to land, but if there is not a lot of crosswinds. If there is like too much crosswinds, it doesn't know how to land. Or if there is any technical issue within the computer or something, it doesn't know how to land. So you still need to be here for most of the flight and most of the flight, the weather condition will not be good enough for auto land. Uh, so yeah, if anything happened, if I'm alone in the flight deck and anything happened, it's gonna be way more difficult to handle than having two pilots. If there is two seats in a flight deck, it's for a reason, so yeah. Right, 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 I guess so. What sets your airline, Air France, apart from all the other airlines? It was one of the first one. It was uh, created in 1933. So it's almost 100 years old. It's like 90 years old right now. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Um, yeah. You know, we had the Concorde flying for Air France. For a passenger point of view, it's like having that French spirit, like French oh. food and French welcome and everything. I, I like to say like there's no fake smile. Like in America, there's a lot of fake smile. Uh -huh. Like if you enter a store, well, people will say, hey, hello, how are you doing? Uh, blah, blah, yeah, blah, yeah, yeah. Faking everything. And then went back to behind the corners and just drop the smile and look at the phone. Yeah. It's a little bit different in France. Like if you are not in a happy mood, you are not required to be in a happy mood at work. But usually it doesn't happen because usually all the flight attendants, they love their, their, their job. So they will be smiling, but for real. You could go to them and talk to them, ask them like questions or stuff about your vacations or stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Then that would be a real nice conversation to have. Huh. Just real people yeah. all doing stuff. Some airlines, like, like most of the airlines, like in, in Middle East or something, the flight attendants are not allowed to speak with passengers on personal things and stuff. Uh -huh. Here we say like... Just welcome passenger as if, they, if it was home, you know, like yeah. everyone does it a little bit differently and that's also what makes it special because if you're flying a lot, well, you might want to have a special welcome, a different welcome every time and not having that same sentence all uh, the time. Yeah, right, 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 right. That makes sense. Is the ATC law, like, do you have to listen to them? It's kind of weird because yes, but the captain is the commander of the aircraft and can do whatever he wants. But then you'll have to be responsible for it. You might have to feel paperwork, to file paperwork. You might have to like answer for what he's done. Yeah. But so. at the end of the day, you're flying the plane. You make sure that plane right. is safe. But you have to listen to the air traffic controllers. If they tell you to turn left, you'll turn left. What if, to, would there, have you ever not listened to them? Once, the guy was like descent to that altitude. And uh -huh. I was like, well, that, that, that clearance is below the minimum safe altitude that I have on my chart. And oh. it's okay if you see the ground, if it's daytime and you see the ground, it's like, all right, I'm not going to go in a mountain so I can do what he says. Yeah. But it was nighttime and I was like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to stick with my... So I was like, unable. I'm descending to 
my minimum safe altitude and I'm not gonna go any lower than what you, like like what I have. Wow, and then what did they say? They say, well, you sure, blah, blah, and then I say, yep. And, and then at the end of the day, so I, I did my, what I wanted to do and I, I, took, I took my decision and he could not have imposed that decision on me. Right, and then did you have to fill out paperwork or something No, because like he was kind of wrong of doing that, so... <laughs> Uh, but yeah, they could tell, like, the worst thing a pilot wants to hear is, like, uh, reference, blah, 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 possible pilot deviation, I have a number for you to copy, are you ready to copy, and then you copy the number, oh, and then no. when you're on the ground, you have to call the number. That's, like, the principal's office. Yep, and uh, then you don't know what will happen, but you don't want it, you, you never want to have a write, you never hold, you, you never want to call that number. Yeah, you never want to have to write down a number when you're on an aircraft. No, no lines, no writing down numbers. Right. I do. I don't do lines. I don't do right to that number. So. <laughs> I love you, Rabbi. Love you too, Tony. All right. Hey, Tony. Thanks for taking me to France. Yeah, it was really cool. You're welcome. I'm so glad it worked out.